0: Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Hi everybody, Mesh Compulsive Overeater. Really grateful to be here tonight. Um, thank you, Jazz, for asking me to speak. Um I, um, I'm a, I'm a lifer here and Overeaters readers anonymous and proud of it. Um, I got to OA in, um, 1977. Many of you probably weren't even born yet. And, um, I celebrated, I can never remember if it's 40, I think it's 40 years of abstinence this year. It kind of is all a blur, but one day at a time, you know, you don't break your abstinence, you don't die, you get 40 years. Where did the time go? I do not know. Anyway, um, I will spend a little bit of time telling you a little bit about what it was like, but I really want to talk about what it's like now. So, um, you know, I was born hungry. (laughs) I was born with an insatiable appetite for food. And um, it never really went away. Um, And it actually just got worse and worse. My compulsion with food as I grew up and the older I got and the more I practiced my compulsion with food, the worse, um, my, my food got. So, um, when I got here in 1977, I was suicidal, homicidal, and, um, I just didn't want to live because I I just couldn't imagine spending my whole life living in the food hell that I was living in Um, because, you know, food had me, you know, I I had no control. I had no say over my life. It was completely controlled by food. And um, that was really not a fun way to live, especially as a teenager, you know, when everybody's out, you know, having a good time partying. You know, I usually got overnight babysitting jobs. That was awesome for my disease, you know, because um, the people would be, you know, usually it was nurses who worked overnight or whatever. And and man, I had like a whole house to myself and um, nobody was going to catch me because the kids were asleep and the parent wasn't coming home for a long time. So, um, but yeah, my life was hell. I didn't really want to live anymore. And that's really the state I was in when I got to Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, I heard about OA from a family friend who uh, my mom actually told me about OA, uh, a family friend who had been obese her whole life, as long as I had known her, and she had lost like 120 pounds. And I was like, oh, my God, what did she do? How did she do it? My mom said she went to Overeaters Anonymous, and I ran to my first meeting. I wasn't done though with my, um, my research on if I really was a true compulsive overeater. So it took me about uh, four years to get abstinent. Um, so keep coming back. If it can work for me, it can work for anybody. Um, I, I really had not a lot of hope that I would actually finally get the program, but, but miracle of miracles, <laughs> you know, this program works even for somebody like me, whose denial is as thick as my skull. So, um, I, uh, the way I got abstinent surprisingly was, uh, step one. I, uh, admitted that I was powerless over food. Now that sounds easy to say, but it really had to be like this visceral core. I am a compulsive overeater. I am powerless over food. I will never be able to control my food. Yeah. And that took me a long time to get there. But once I finally did, um, and surprisingly, I thought, oh, if I admit I have this problem, I'm going to have it forever. But the contrary happened, that as soon as I admitted that I was powerless over food, the compulsion of food was lifted. Like that makes, that still to me makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> you know, you deny a problem and you deny a problem and then hopefully someday it goes away. That's kind of how I was until I, you know, finally admitted that I really am a compulsive overeater, that I am powerless over food. And just like the big book says, we are like men and women who have lost their legs, they will never grow new ones. And um, that that was me, I, I crossed the line. I crossed the line between Well, I never really was a normal eater. So I can't even say I crossed the line between a normal eater and a compulsive overeater, I crossed the line between just, you know, surviving by using food to wanting to just to die you know that's the line that I crossed Um, and so uh, in admitting that I'm powerless over food the compulsion of food was lifted and um, immediately you know step two and step three came right into play because it's like oh shit man I'm completely powerless over this food thing like I finally admitted that like Nothing can save me, but oh yes, actually something can save me, and that is a power greater than myself. So uh, by default, I had to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity because I had nowhere else to go. And um, and then I turned my will and my life over to the care of that of that higher power. And um, you know the steps are are like such a lifesaver for me. I've worked them over and over again through the years, through all kinds of good things, bad things, high things, low things, you know, and so far in my life anyway, the program and the steps have um enabled me to get through life on life's terms without having to resort to the food. And you know, like everybody else, you know, I you know, I've had a life just like everybody else, some good, some bad. Um I, you know, I don't pray for parking spots and get them. That's not how my higher power works, you know. Um, <clears throat> so, but I, what I do know is that my higher power and you find people and my sponsor and these 12 steps have enabled me to um, live life on life's terms without having to go back to the food. Because I know today, if I were to go back, I would not just go back to you know how bad it was when I got here, which was pretty horrendous. I, I, I think it would just go right to death for me because this compulsion is so strong in me, and it's been, you know, in the in the other room doing push-ups, you know, all this time. So the disease is still alive and well in me. It never goes away. you know, my only hope is a daily reprieve contingent upon my spiritual condition. Now, when I got here, <laughs> you know, spiritual, spiritual, man, I didn't want anything to do with a higher power or God, because I'd had some pretty bad experiences in that area. And the thought of turning my will, and my life over to this punishing God in the sky that was going to throw lightning bolts at me, you know, was really not my idea of, of hope, you know, but luckily, you guys told me, and it's true, at least it has been for me, that I get to define my higher power and I get to decide, you know, what my higher power is and what my higher power can do in my life. And that's really awesome because if I'd come here and you guys had said, oh, you know, you got to believe it this certain way or this certain thing, I would have gone out and died. You know, I'm kind of stubborn that way. It's my way or the highway. And this program allows me to have my way, you know, lets me decide what, is my higher power? What is my food plan? How am I going to live my life in recovery? This program is allows me those choices, you know, and so long as I stay within the parameters that I know for me are abstinent parameters, then, you know, it's all good. So, you know, excuse me, as I said, I've, you know, I've worked the steps many, many times over and over again. um, And oops, Here's the star of the show here. Um, And it's a miracle this cat is still alive because she's so effing annoying. And um, she's still, I still love her. So there you go. (laughs) I'm a dog person with a cat. So don't even get me started on how that happened. But anyway, so, you know, what it's like now is um, I just want to spend a few minutes talking about what I do on a daily basis for my program you know i um i sponsor people um i have a sponsor i work the steps with my sponsees and in working the steps with my sponsees i kind of work them for myself as well um i go to at least 3 meetings a week um sometimes more but never less unless i'm somewhere and nowadays there's no excuse right <laughs> because no matter where you are in the world there's a meeting somewhere on zoom you know but before this Um, unless I was out of the country or, or, you know, in the hospital, which I only was once when I had a baby, but, uh, you know, um, I go to my meetings, meetings are super important. So I make sure that I go, It's really helpful to me to hear how everybody works their program, because uh, I, you know, I don't know how to really do this, except by, you know, understanding what other people do, And trying that, and sitting there with my sponsees, you know, I I just share my experience, strength, and hope. That's it. That's all I can do. Um, So, anyway, I I go to the meetings. I sponsor. I write every day. I take my inventory. Um, And I think the main thing that I would like to share about what I what I do is, um, you know, I make commitment every day to my sponsor to practice abstinent food behavior. Um, it's taken me a long time to get to this point, you know, of what is abstinent food behavior and practice that every single day. I'm not perfect at it, but most days I can tell my sponsor at the end of the day that i practiced abstinent food behavior and abstinent food behavior for me is not eating while standing, not snacking while, while preparing food, um, not eating food on that's on my food plan eating only at meal times, you know, using a fork and a knife and a spoon, <laughs> eating like a civilized person. Um, and, you know, I have certain foods that I don't eat because I can't eat them in safety. And so um, and that's really been super helpful for me. There's no, there's no fuzzy line there. You know, it's like, if you're standing there and you're putting food in your mouth, that is not absolute food behavior, Mish. So don't do that. Um, so that's been really helpful. Um, I know my time's almost up. I just, um, and I didn't even really talk about this much because I I ran out of time. But, um, you know, a large part of my disease is fear because I'm just a fear-based person. And so I'm going to read, in as Bill sees it, this is one of my favorite books, um, uh, page 196, The Antidote for Fear. And it says, when our failings generate fear, then we have soul sickness. The sickness in turn generates still more character defects. Unreasonable fear that our instincts will not be satisfied drives us to covet the possessions of others, to lust for sex and power, to become angry when our instinctive demands are threatened, to be envious when the ambitions of others seem to be realized while ours are not. We eat, drink and grab for more more of everything than we need, fearing we shall never have enough. And with genuine alarm at the prospect of work, we stay lazy. We loaf and procrastinate, or at best work grudgingly and under half steam. These fears are the termites that ceaselessly devour the foundations of whatever sort of life we try to build. And then it says, as faith grows, so does inner security. The vast underlying fear of nothingness commences to subside. We of AA find that our basic antidote for fear is a spiritual awakening. And, um, you know, I, I had a spiritual awakening. It was, I figured out that there's a higher power and it's not me. And that's what started my spiritual awakening. And there's a lot of stuff that is just happening in my life right now. My daughter broke her leg six months ago. She's still having tremendous amount of pain. I can't fix it. You know, I just have to faith, have faith that my higher power will come in and help her and help me help her in whatever way that I can. Um, And other situations I won't bore you with right now. But I just know that when I surrender to my higher power, that things don't always turn out the way I want, but I'm a lot saner than um, I would have been otherwise. And it works out however it does. And then I move on with my life. So anyway, thank you, everybody. Keep coming back. I need you. Okay, bye.